pastor Xavier Reese illustrates some modern yet all too familiar forms of idolatry. People worship their jobs, their homes. Your God can be out in the parking lot taking two stalls. People worship their children, their wives, their husbands. Listen to Paul once again in Romans 1, 24 through 26, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. People worship themselves today. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. You know, comparing talents and attributes and choosing an idol was something that has occurred long before the hit television phenomenon of American Idol. Yeah, the simple truth is the Old Testament prophet Isaiah laid out for the people of God how they, in fact, were choosing to worship and give glory to the creature rather than the Creator. And coming up, Pastor Xavier points out the idol worship of Isaiah's time continues right up until today. So, stay tuned for today's Simple Truths. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 1 through 13. The prophet Isaiah has been dealing with the problem of idolatry and false gods repeatedly through the book. The prophet now reveals to us the foolishness of comparing God to any other God by three simple truths in this chapter. Notice first the ironic comparison between the idol gods and the eternal God is first given to us in verse 1 through 4. Then second, the impossible comparison of the eternal God to idol gods in verses 5 through 7. The impossibility is made clear by three personal questions. To whom would you liken me? The prophet has declared this before in 418 and 425. The question is, what will you make me look like? <laughs> and so man sees himself and he says, well, he must have eyes. I have eyes. I have hands. I'll put hands on him, feet and everything. And he makes an extension of himself and he calls it God. To what will you make me equal to? The prophet has also declared this before, but qualified it with the phrase, the Holy One of Israel in 4025. A repeated phrase throughout, the Holy One of Israel. The question could very well be, who is my competitor? Who can keep up with me? Third question, to whom will you compare me? The God of Israel has repeatedly declared throughout Isaiah that there is no God besides him. He will say it again down in verse 9. The question here might well be, who is my twin? The answer is none. I'm the only one. Notice secondly in verse 6. Notice the progression from thoughts that are contrary to reason. Now the process defies reason. Their dedicated labor is described. The people lavish gold out of the bag and they weigh silver in the scales. They're not stingy with their valuable to make gods. They are deceived willingly to sacrifice what they don't have to obtain what they can't get. And it's throughout the world. No matter how poor they are, they always have and they use the little they have to make their God. Because thinking that by sacrificing that, they'll get more. 
The value of the precious metals declare the value they place on their gods. It's a priority. But notice also they hire a goldsmith. Here's the process. And he makes a god. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? The process defies reason. They find a mortal and imperfect man for the perfect task. Does that sound good? <laughs> They intend to make a supreme God whose maker will be a sinful man. They end up making gods less than themselves. It defies reason. Notice thirdly, they prostrate themselves. And in an irony, God says, yes, and they worship, revealing once again the foolishness of it. Listen to 42.8. He says, I am God, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Do not say, well, you know, they're sincere. Well, you know, they do love God. No. God will not give his glory to carved images. God does not condone it, nor encourage it, nor teach it. He condemns it. Notice thirdly in verse 7, the practice moves to perverted reason. The practice perverts reason. Their devotion to their gods is declared. They bear it on their shoulders. They carry it. Their gods are less than they. They're like the pagan, and now they carry their gods. And they set it in a place, and it stands. Their gods are present only in one place at one time. How sad. From its place it shall not move. Their gods cannot go anywhere without human help. That's a pretty sad God. The one cries out to it, yet it cannot answer. Their gods cannot communicate with them, nor save him out of his trouble. Their gods are powerless to help them. They are powerless to hear, speak, and they cannot save. David says, they have eyes they cannot see, they have hands they cannot handle, they have feet they cannot walk. And the problem is, the people who worship them become just like their gods, unable to see the things of God, hear the things of God, or do the work of God. Just like their gods. Men and women who reject the light of the gospel willfully will give themselves over to the most foolish things that are contrary to all reason. Paul puts it this way in Romans 1, and 23, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like corruptible man, birds, four-footed beasts, animals, and creeping things. And you see this wherever you go, all these, some of the ugliest gargoyles and everything else, I mean, they scare you more than want you to pray for them, but I mean, but this is man. Men and women who defy reason are in reality defying God and rejecting his word the revelation and the plan of his will. Listen to Paul once again in Romans 1, 24 through 26. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. People worship themselves today. They are the goal of their life. You know, the whole, the, the, we, we see it in movies and in commercials, mockery, well, gee, I like myself, and, you know, I mean, all kinds of stuff, you know, and doggone it, I deserve it. I mean, it's, it's, it's sick. But people are serious. 
People worship their jobs, their homes. Your God can be out in the parking lot taking two stalls. People worship their bank accounts. People worship their children, their wives, their husbands. Men and women who go contrary to reason and defy reason usually end up in perverting reason and receive to themselves their own destruction. Listen to again once to Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 27 and 8. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, having the natural use of leaving the natural use of the woman, burning in their own lust for one another, and man with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Believing they are qualified to say what is good and evil, not accepting the standards of God's word, as for all times, this is the last stage. We see it in our society today. All of this is called alternate lifestyle. Your children are taught in school not to make differences like that. Everybody's good. Not everybody likes the same thing. We have to respect one another. Situational ethics and value clarification is the way ending up with a politically correct society, a tolerant society of judging nothing and being labeled as a bigot if you dare to say that's wrong. The giving up of men, if you notice, as we've looked at Romans 1 here, is a threefold step. Listen, uncleanness or vile thoughts. Second, vile passions. Third, debased mind or reprobate mind, rejected. When you get to the third stage, God says, you're on your own. You're going to reap big time. You don't get to number three without being warned in number one over and over and over again. If you move to number two, you're warned over and over and over again. And then finally you end up in number three. It's scary. But it's what's due to the person who works hard at sin and works hard at rejecting God's word. It is impossible to make a comparison of the eternal God by idol gods, Isaiah says. Notice this third truth in verse 8 through 13. The impeccable reputation of the eternal God in comparison to the idol gods. First in verse 8 and 9, they were to remember their past in view of their God. This is good. Now he turns them back to hope. They were to remember their past in view of their God. God called for them to remember and show themselves men. The expression to show themselves as men refers to being courageous. By looking at him, we become courageous. By looking at him and even considering, then we are being the most courageous because we're listening to sound wisdom. They were to take courage in God as they remembered what he had done in the past. They were not to be like their idol gods, unable to think. Listen, our American society is a scary society because our society cannot think. It doesn't think. It accepts, it believes everything the media says. It doesn't search out 
to see if it's true. It just embraces it and proclaims it to be truth. We are like the frog in the kettle. Politically, morally, and in every other way. Educational-wise. God called for them to recall to mind identifying them as their present spiritual condition. What does he say? Oh, you transgressors. God is not deluded with it. He's not deceived. He knows exactly who we are. You remember the opening chapter of Isaiah? It presents us the heavenly court scene there as Jehovah God, uh, as a prosecuting attorney and judge, indicts the people for their sins against him, calling them a sinful nation, weighed down with iniquities, forsaking and provoking the Holy One of Israel in chapter 1, verse 4. That's how the book opens up. The leaders were self-serving, abusing the people and their privileges in Isaiah 3, 13 through 15. The women had become very brash, vulgar, proudful in their luxury and expense and lifestyle, using their sexuality to attract, catch, and ensnare men in chapter 3, verse 16 through 23. Today, I am amazed of the perversion of young ladies. The things that young girls say and do before people, before an audience, or whatever it may be. And brashly, they've lost the ability to blush. It's a sad commentary. Kind of refreshing when we see somebody blush. <laughs> God called for them to remember the former things of old, implying two things. First, their history with God. How God called Abraham from Ur the Chaldees. How God provided Jacob and his sons with food from Egypt through Joseph in the famine. How God had delivered Israel out of Egypt and destroyed with a strong hand, judging all the gods of Egypt and destroying the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. Look back. Think of the history. How God had given them the land, defeating all the kings. Think back. Who did it? But also, along with the history of the events, is their relationship with God. They were recipients of His doing. They were the recipients. They were the covenant people of God, the special treasure to him. They were the kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Think. We do that as parents to our kids. Think. Before society, think who your father is. You were out there in the street doing some stuff or something, and one of your fathers, Frank, hey, come here. You know, your dad wouldn't approve of that. Yes, sir. Get home. Okay. Today you tell the kid, eh, you know what, eh, what's your problem, old man? You want some of this? Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Notice God called them to remember that he was eternal. For I am God, there is no other. This is repeated eight times between chapter 44 and our text right here. He alone resides from all eternity. He has never known or run into any other God so-called, as we've seen over and over again. But notice he says, For I am God, and there is none like me. He is God Elohim, the creator of heaven and earth for man to inhabit. In fact, he's told us that in Isaiah 45, 18. Listen to him. For thus saith the Lord, who created the heavens, who is God, Elohim, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it but to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no other over and over again, he created and formed Israel, giving them life. Listen to Isaiah 44, 1 and 2. 
Yet hear now, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you and formed you from the womb, who will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Jerusalem, whom I have chosen. Why is he using these things, created, formed, this? Because they were creating, forming gods. The contrast is inescapable throughout the book. Now, we can fall into that as Christians. We start creating our own what the church is to be, what our God approves and doesn't approve because we no longer go by the Bible. And so you've got many churches who are not churches of Jesus Christ. They're churches of whatever the pastor is or whatever the man is or whatever the denomination is, and they've gotten so far removed from the Word of God. And there's no relationship to, oh, but they, oh, yeah, we love Jesus. We know Jesus. Yeah, what Jesus do you know? Amazing. The fact that he was God Elohim and there is no other, therefore idols were what? A mistake. A total mistake. The truth that he was God and there was none like him. He is the only God is repeated over and over again. Now notice secondly, verse 10 and 11. They were to remember their God in terms of his ability to tell the future. This is reputation. Secondly, declaring the end from the beginning, God lives in an eternal present outside the time domain of man. We live in linear time, present, past, future. God lives outside of that time domain. And he's able to see, understand, comprehend everything in the present. It's a pretty good attribute. God declares the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ through the virgin birth from the beginning, Genesis 3.15. Every book you buy, you have to turn to the end, read the last chapter, last page, to find out how it ends. The Bible doesn't. Turn to the first book, you find out how it ends. Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman wins. Tells you at the beginning. God challenged the false and idol gods to do the same in chapter 41. Uh, 22, he says, let them bring forth and show us what uh, will happen. Let them show the former things that uh, what they were, that we may consider them and know the latter of them, or declare to us things to come. No one took him up on it. But notice also declare information times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. For God to tell the future is no big deal is what he's saying. God foretold the 400-year bondage of Israel to Abraham in Genesis uh, 15. God's counsel was not thwarted by the gods of Egypt. They were powerless. God's pleasure was accomplished. What was it? He redeemed his people. God provides the particular predictions of Cyrus now as that illustration by the bird of prey from the east in verse 11. As he conquers Babylon, as he liberates Israel. So once again, he reinforces who he is by the very prediction that he's been giving from different perspectives. To execute my counsel from a far country describes the purpose. For I have spoken it, the authority. I will also bring it to pass, the ability. I have purposed it, the prediction. I will also do it, the performance. He says, any questions? <laughs> Interesting. I noticed third and last year in verse 12 through 13. They were to remember their God in view of his promise of the future. Once again, he comes back 
to his faithfulness. Look at verse 12. God calls for the attentive ear. Listen to me. Now, parents, you know, you understand this. You don't need no Hebrew. You don't need no Greek. You don't need nothing. When you tell your child, listen to me, you're saying, I know you hear me. Those sound waves are going out. It's going through your little eardrum, and it's making vibration. It's moving those three little bones, and it's sending signals up to your brain, and you are understanding the articulation of these words, but you're not listening. Listening means you respond, you obey. They were hearing but not obeying. They had become insensate to the voice of God. Just like their idols. And so God addresses them again by their present spiritual condition. You stubborn hearted who are far from righteousness. This was the end result of their own choice. And people don't like the end product. And so they look for scapegoats for people to blame. Listen, you and I are at fault for our lives. No one else. These people had come to lose the ability to know and to do what was right in the eyes of God, calling good evil and evil good, as Isaiah said in Isaiah 5.20. We're here, people. This is the society we live in. This heart is obstinate to the things of God that have been revealed. And so God declares that he would, in spite of them, bring in his righteousness. Jehovah would bring it to them in the near future. Notice that. Jehovah would bring salvation. It would not linger or delay. It would be in Zion. And Jehovah would do it for Israel. Listen, his glory. God said, on you and through you and in you, I'm going to work. And you are going to be my glory. Isn't that what he says to you? The greatest incentive for holy living is the soon return of Jesus Christ. John says in 1 John 3, 1 through 3, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, even though it doesn't yet appear that we shall be. When Christ appears, we shall see him. We shall be exactly as he is. And verse 3 says, Everyone who has this hope purifies himself even as he, Christ, is pure. How we are to remember the promise that Jesus is coming for his church. As 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, I would not have you to be ignorant, others have no hope. If you believe that Jesus died and rose again, so will God bring back with him those who have died in Christ. And then when Christ ascends, we shall be caught up in the air and meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with our loved ones forevermore. And he finishes off by saying, comfort one another with these words. Great incentive. It will be my stabilizer for life and yours. I'm looking for Jesus. It will get you through the darkest hours of your life. It will bring you to embrace joy apart from the situation. Because I'm looking for the Messiah. And I know he's coming. He has said it. It is the impeccable reputation of the eternal God in comparison to the idol gods that exposes them as no gods. So the prophet Isaiah has revealed to us the foolishness of comparing Jehovah God to any other God by these three simple truths. The ironic comparison between the idol gods and the eternal God. The impossible comparison of the eternal God by idol gods. And the impeccable reputation of the eternal God in comparison to the idol gods. Great reason. Great logic. Hmm. 
good answers for people who are in idolatry. Pastor Xavier Reese, illustrating quite effectively from Scripture, there is no comparison between any created idol God and the one and only worthy eternal creator God of the Bible. Now, if we can get a copy of this message of the 46th chapter titled Jehovah, the Only God, into your hands, please let us know. In fact, as always, there's even more of this study than we had time to feature on the air. So why not contact us today for a copy? It's available on CD for only $4. And once again, the title to ask for is Jehovah, the Only God, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Savior, and King of Kings. He's known by many names, but the Suffering Servant? Learn how he suffered for you on the next Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com